I, uh, I applaud our graduates, our high school graduates. That is a key momentous occasion in your life and thankful for that. Uh, but with graduation comes that one as- aspect that uh, sometimes I struggle with, and that is the joy of sitting through commencement services. Now, I, I'm sure that all of you probably love sitting through graduation and commencement services. I will tell you that uh, by the time you park and walk in and, and you watch hundreds of people walk across an aisle for that five or ten second moment when they call, you know, your son or daughter's name and they walk across, they hear their name, and then they go sit down. During the rest of that service, I really have a hard time staying engaged. And there's always the commencement speaker. Now, when I was in Bible college and learning how to preach, there was a, an idiom that our, one of my professors used to use, and it was this. He who thinks by the inch and speaks by the yard should be shown the door by the foot. All right, so that was, that was the, the idiom that uh, one of our professors gave when we were in college. And uh, sometimes commencement dress addresses seem like they are very long. And uh, anyway, Brooke actually did one here recently at SBU. It was very short and very, very good. Uh, but sometimes commencement speakers, it gets a little challenging staying engaged. And you kind of hear uh, about the same thing, you know, go out and change the world, make a difference, reach for the stars, uh, don't fear. Uh, then they start this whole list of things that you should be or do, you know, be ambitious, be bold, be courageous, be daring. You know, you can go through the whole alphabet until you get to X. I can't think of any that begin with X. Uh, so... But, but they go through this whole routine of things that, that need to be shared. So I know our graduates have sat through 13 years of school. Some of them have just a few days left. So I'm going to give you a very simple address that, a t- uh, that can apply to all of us. And it really is going to be made up in three simple words. And that's this. Live for Jesus. Just live for Jesus. If you come to know Jesus and you live for Jesus, that will solve the vast majority of all of the issues that you will ever face in your life. So live for Jesus. One of the ways that we live for Jesus can be spelled out for us in Colossians chapter 3. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, and we'll pick up in verse number 17. Colossians three seventeen. We left off here last week, and then we're going to slide down to verse number 23. Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now slide down to verse number 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. And with that, let's pray. God, I ask that you would speak to us and challenge us as we spend a few minutes today in your word. And I pray especially for our graduates, Lord, that uh, you would guide and direct them as many decisions are made about education and vocation. 
about their life, who they will marry, where they will live. God, they need your guidance. And so I pray over them that they would be men and women of wisdom and of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I graduated from high school a long time ago. Pretty long time ago to to think about. I still have about once or twice a year a recurring dream. And the recurring dream is, and this is, this is me being absolutely honest, that I come back from something like Christmas break and I'm in the halls of my high school and I cannot remember my locker number or my, my combination and I cannot remember my class schedule. I don't know where I'm supposed to go next. I graduated 35 years ago. So though I've been out of high school a long time, apparently high school has not gotten out of me. I don't know what has caused those dreams to stir up in me, but I'm two or three times a year I have this recurring dream that that I'm in the walls of of my school and I'm thinking where is my locker? I find it finally. What is my combination? And I have no clue on where I'm supposed to be next. I don't remember my schedule coming back from from Christmas break or from summer break. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. And it's just this helpless feeling of, of, I don't know, maybe it's because my kids have been in high school and and I've been kind of, you know, going through all of their life with them. I don't know what I'll dream about when I don't hear any more high school stories now that Josh has graduated and will be in college. I, I don't know. I, I told the early group this morning, I, what do you dream about when all of your kids leave? Like, do you roll over and think, oh, no, I have another car insurance bill due, you know? Or, oh, no, another car is broke down. I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like. But I'm, I, I do have this recurring dream, and it's really, really weird how that strikes out. You know, as we think about that step from high school, or for many of us, our step into our job, our step uh, through our, our community and our neighborhood and making a difference, the real challenge of our life is really to live for Jesus. And Paul makes it really clear in Colossians three seventeen and in three twenty three that whatever we do, we're to do it to the Lord, and whether it's in word or deed. And he goes on to say, you know, we're to do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, which is a overall challenge in all of my life to think that the Lord knows me, He loves me, He's paved a path so that I could come to know Him as Savior, and now He wants me to walk with Him. But I want to be very careful this morning because I, I, I'm going to share some things about living and walking for the Lord, but I want to just, again, encourage and challenge all of us with this. Being a believer is not about following rules. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is not about just a bunch of rules. It really is about a relationship. And because I'm in a relationship with Jesus, I want to walk in a relationship that allows me to stay close to him, where I can experience the goodness of all that he has done. Paul in Colossians 3 is writing to believers. He starts off in verse number 1, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. In other words, if you've come to know Jesus as your Savior, then you need to be thinking about eternal things. You need to set your mind on things that are in heaven. He goes on and he tells us there's some things that we 
need to get rid of out of our life. There's some sensual sins we need to, to put to death. And there's some social sins we need to put off. And a new, some new things we need to put on in verse number 12 and following. He tells us, hey, I want you to put this on. And he starts with tender mercies and kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering and bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And then he says, and then I want you to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And I want the word of Christ to dwell in your life. And then he comes back and says, as you are doing all of those things, you're dressed, you're focused. This is how you're supposed to live. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So this morning, I want to be very simple. I have three very simple points. And I know students, they're going through finals right now, and there's a lot of heavy things on them. So I want to give you three very, very simple points. First off, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. As we think about this passage, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. That's what he says in verse number 17 and verse number 23. That whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. He talks about, first off, as that command thinks about and encompasses our speech. He says, whatever you do in word or deed. Our speech, our speech is important. As we think about what... uh, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. He also writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4.29 and says, let no corrupt communication come from your mouth. My son Micah was visiting this week with a group of ministers from different denominations. And he says, one guy sits down, and these are all ministers, and in the first five minutes, he, he says a cuss word. And, and it was just like for him thinking, why, why, why? The Bible tells us that Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And people listen to our words, and they look at our witness, and they look at who we stand for. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, is my speech in such a way that Jesus could sign off on it? Would God be pleased with that? Now, I realize that some of you, you know, uh, struggle from time to time. You know, you hit your thumb with a, with a hammer. I'm not talking even about that at this point. This guy just, out of the blue, just purposefully laid it out there in front of all these guys. So as we think about our language, Jesus, I've read the Gospels many, many times. I've never seen Jesus say anything off color. I've never seen him curse in any way. So we need to watch our mouth. Secondly, we need to watch our deeds. He says our speech and our actions. The the picture is is whatever you do in word or deed, uh, the actions of our life. So the things that I'm doing in my life ought to be things that Jesus can sign off on. These ought to be things that that I can do uh, with, with my heart in it because I know the Lord would be pleased with that. Then he says in verse number 23, the things that we do, we are to do them heartily. So we're in a, this command encompasses, you know, our speech and our actions, but it encompasses our heart. That we are to do these things heartily, verse 23 says. That means out of the soul, really is what it means. That the things that we do in our life really do matter. And if they really do matter, we ought to do them with out of our heart, out of the energy of our inner being, because we're doing them for the Lord. So whatever we put our mind to, whether we're doing school, whether we're doing work, whatever we're doing in this context, he's saying, look, out of your gut, out of your heart, out of your soul, you ought to be... Uh, showing a passion that I want to do this to the pleasing of the Lord in my life. No matter what everyone else is doing, no matter how everyone else may be, 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 be stepping up or slacking, I need to be doing what I'm doing heartily as to the Lord. And then we need to do that with focus. He says that you need to do uh, this heartily as to the 
Lord. That we're not just merely punching a clock for our boss. That we're not merely just going through the motions for our teacher. The picture is, is that the Lord is watching us from heaven and he's saying, the things that you do, I want you to put your energy and your effort into those things, especially things that are constructive, that are going to help to build your life, that are going to help to take care of your life, the things that are going to make a difference in the lives of others. He's saying, look, keep a focus. You should do this as unto the Lord. Many of you students will step off in the next few weeks and months, and if you haven't had that first job yet, you'll probably be anticipating that first job. And then as you get through college, the whole goal of getting through college is is to get a job and to land a job. I was reading about uh, a pastor named Kent Hughes up in Illinois. He's a pastor emeritus now. But he was telling the story about an employer that he knew who didn't want to hire Christian employees. And he asked him, well, why wouldn't you want to hire a Christian employee? And then this is what he said. I had a couple of young, he called them theologues, the young theologues. They were Bible college or seminary students. And he said, they, they didn't work. They just tried to stand around and talk theology all the time. And he said, from the background, I watched one, one of these young men. And he went off and he went to the bathroom. And he came back 25 minutes later and he's bragging to his friend. Hey, man, I just had a wonderful time. I just read three chapters of the book of John in the John. That's what he said. And it's like this employer's saying, what? He he thinks that's okay? And then to use the Lord and say, I'm not going to work? So, so the picture of, of this man's life is, is yes, I'm going to, to work and I'm going to do... It's wonderful. You should read your Bible. But we read our Bible on our time. We read our Bible when it's not to the detriment of someone else as far as being on their uh, payroll. That's the picture. This guy was totally turned off. Now, students and those of you in college and high school today, I will tell you, there is really this lack of work ethic that is going on in our world today. There is a lack of work ethic that surrounds us and permeates within. Now, there are exceptions to that. There are many that are industrious and they're after it and they're working hard. Some have let that pendulum swing the way too far and all they want to do is work. But there is a balance to be found. And that balance is best found as I line my life up with the Lord and make sure that I am working hard when it's time to work and that I'm spending time with the Lord every day because he gives me enough time to do that with grace. The challenge of our life, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. The second thought is this. Whatever you can't do for the Lord don't do. Whatever you can't do for the Lord, don't do. If he says whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. And whether you, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What about things that are questionable? What about things that are kind of supposed to be off limits? Well, notice what he says specifically in verse number 25, but we'll pick up back in verse number 24. He says, knowing the Lord will receive the reward of the inheritance for you Serve the Lord Christ. But notice what he says. But he who does wrong 
will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. So he gives two warnings. The first warning is this. He who does wrong will be repaid. In other words, if we do wrong, then we're going to experience the consequences of doing wrong. This is warning number one. I mean, he makes it very clear for us. Now, take your Bibles and look over with me in Galatians chapter 6. It's just a couple of books back to your, to your left. Galatians chapter 6. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, it says this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit by the Spirit will reap life everlasting. So he gives this contrast. Everybody is reaping something in their life. If you're reaping or sowing to the flesh, then you are by the flesh going to reap corruption. If you are sowing to the Spirit and spiritual things and well-focused things, then you're going to reap the benefits of that in your life. Here's what many people want to do in their life. They want to sow all their wild oats. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I know the Lord doesn't want me to do it, and I'm going to do it anyway. And the first time you do it and you don't get struck dead or, uh, you know, your car don't have four flat tires, you think, oh, I got away with it, so I'm going to do it again. And so they, they, they begin to sow their wild oats. But then with the wild oats that you sow, there is the reaping. So this is what happens. I want to sow my wild oats and then pray for crop failure. I want to pray that it never, nothing ever grows out of it. That's the danger. Because the Lord says, look, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. If you're going to sow to the things of your sinful desires and of your flesh, then you are going to reap all of the havoc and heartache and hurt that sin will cause in your life. That's what he says. Then he says, but if you sow to the things of the Lord, you'll reap the great blessings. So there's a warning. The Lord will repay. Sometimes he, he repays by just letting nature and our natural acts take their course. You sowed this, now you're going to reap this. You did this, now you're going to find yourself facing the consequences of that. There are other times, as Hebrews chapter 12 in verse number 6 and following tells us, that the Lord disciplines those that he loves. So sometimes the Lord might just take us out behind the woodshed, as we used to say. I don't know we can't say that anymore. Uh, but uh, the, Lord, the Lord will get our attention. He will get our attention. And can I tell you, the Lord knows how to do that. He will get our attention. It may be through, through some kind of physical circumstance. It may be through some kind of, of disastrous experience. The Lord will get our attention. Not because he's mad at us, but because he loves us. And he loves us too much to leave us where we are. Warning number one, he who does wrong will be repaid. But then there's a second warning that comes with that in verse number 25. And that is that the Lord does not show partiality. In other words, warning two is is with the Lord's there's there's no partiality. Now he's writing to bond servants here beginning in verse number 22. And as he writes to bond servants, in the Roman Empire there were as many as 60 million slaves. And that's who he's basically writing to. As many as 60 million of them. As much as half of the Roman Empire was made up of slavery. 
uh, made up of slaves and, and, and those, especially in financial bondage who had to go into slavery to, to pay back debts. And so he's, he's writing, and if anyone would have had an unfair life, it would have been a slave. They had no voice. They had, uh, they, they had no one to go to and no one to lean on. But the Lord says, whether you're a slave or whether you have a million dollars, there's no partiality with him. The Lord's not going to show you favorites because you come from this family. He's not going to show you favorites because you have this much money. He's not going to show you favorites because you have this much talent. He's not going to show favorites because you got to experience this or you were able to do this or you were able to do that. The picture is, is that the Lord perfectly discerns, he perfectly distributes judgment and reward in a way that brings honor to him and it is without partiality altogether. That's the picture. So, he says, whatever you do, you're to do it for the Lord. But the opposite of that is very true. Whatever you can't do for the Lord, don't do. So let me ask, are there things that you're watching looking at, listening to? Are there things that you're doing that you know you can't do for the Lord, you couldn't do if the Lord Jesus was sitting next to you? If there are things like that, then out of love for him, out of your relationship for him, you don't do that. Julie and I just have, you know, I've had the privilege to be married to her for, for many years, and she is the joy of my heart. But I will tell you, when it comes to our life and our relationship, there are things that I don't do. Not because I'm afraid that her dad is going to come get me, but because I don't want to hurt her in our love relationship. I don't want to flirt with other women. Because, not, not because I'm afraid of her dad or afraid of one of her brothers or afraid of anyone in her family. No, but because I love her. And so the key of our life is, is there are things that I don't want to do in life because of my love relationship with Jesus. It's not out of rules, and it's not even out of fear. Though there should be a good, healthy fear involved as we think about the Lord. Hebrews does tell us that he is a consuming fire. But it's this love relationship. That's why Paul has just said in verse 14, above all these things, put on love which is the bond of perfection. Thirdly, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Whatever you can't do for the Lord, don't do. Thirdly, whatever you do for the Lord will be rewarded. Notice what he says in verse number 24. He makes it really clear in verse number 24. Whatever you do for the Lord will be rewarded. Knowing then that, the, the Lord, you, that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Now, Think about this. As I do my work, and again, he's writing to bond servants here, slaves. As you do your work, there's someone watching beyond the master. That's what he says in verse number 22. Don't just do eye service. When the boss is around, then I'm going to do my work. Eye service, but when he leaves, I'm not going to do it. Most people in this day were serving out of fear that they would get caught not working and get in trouble. Now the Lord says, look, I have given you a different perspective and a different authority. You do this because I've called you to serve me, and I will reward you. I like, and I wrote this down, what uh, a guy named Jim Stitzinger said. He wrote this, entitled, lazy, 
presumptuous, obnoxious words that should only describe a cat, not a Christian. (laughs) How true it is. As believers, we're called to work and to know that the Lord will give us a reward. He's already given us his son. He's already given us forgiveness. He's already given us the Holy Spirit. He's already promised us that nothing will separate us from his love. He's already guaranteed that we have heaven for eternity with him. He's made promise after promise after promise and says, look, you're going to obtain an inheritance with me. There's great reward. So serve like you're serving me. See, there's going to be a day when you meet the Lord. In Georgia, we had a class of older ladies, and they formed this class themselves, and they named it themselves. And their class was the heaven-bound class. Because you didn't promote from that class, you just went to heaven from that class, okay? Seriously, they named it themselves. It's the heaven-bound class. And during my tenure there, we had the heaven-bound class. Many of their members graduated, okay? There's going to come a day when it is an appointed demand wants to die as a man, a woman, a student. We just don't know when that time's going to be. And we're going to hear our name and we're going to walk across heaven and meet the Lord Jesus. And as the Lord Jesus figuratively would stand at our graduation as the commencement speaker, our goal is this, to hear his commencement message. Very short one. Well done, good and faithful servant. And if you can graduate with that honor, then everything that you've done for Jesus in this life will be worth it.